Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 142, and today's guest name is Vincenzo Villamena, and I literally had to get Vincenzo on the show because I met him at a YEC event, so it's my community that I'm in called the Young Entrepreneurs Council, and I was on a snowboarding trip, and here is this uh, very tall guy who's got a very big beard and longer hair and just is an absolute blast to chat with, and Lo and behold, he's a CPA. Literally would have had zero idea about that. I would have for sure thought he was anything but an accountant. So Vincenzo and I start chatting and he has a very interesting background. He came from one of the big four CPA firms. He's been in and out of M&A as it relates to tax. And he just totally pulled the corporate ripcord and decided to move out of the US where he can live the life that he wants as he travels and can literally just do whatever he wants. However, he ended up starting a company where he specializes in M&A and international tax. And so when Vincenzo and I are chatting on the show, we really touch on a lot of different things. So this is not a checklist of all the stuff you got to do before you hand in your tax returns or anything like that. This is us just really rallying around all the different things that relate to business, mergers and acquisitions and tax. So we're talking about asset versus stock sales, R&D tax credits, understanding the different ways to mitigate annual taxes, but then also making sure that you've got got things lined up for the eventual sale. I think it's a fantastic episode. If you want to get brushed up and hear the general concepts, really be able to continuously get yourself familiar with all the different tax lingo and the different nuances that could be involved in your eventual sale. Super, super good because we're not getting so nitty gritty that it's unbearable while you're driving or while you're running. So if you make it towards the end of the episode, one thing that Vincenzo starts talking about that I think is absolutely super interesting, that his one of his specialties is if you decide to travel outside of the US and or if you're planning on actually moving. Like I literally, when I got done with this, I'm like, maybe we should move to Puerto Rico because he starts talking about all the different tax advantages from moving out of the US or having your company in different countries. There's just a bunch of stuff that I was not familiar with that I think are interesting. So not to say that you're just going to pick up everything and move, but I think there's some interesting things to think about when you're literally talking about your income that you want for life and how to get that annual income in the most efficient way possible playing a little defense to get that income that you deserve instead of giving it all to the government. Vincenzo's got a lot of really, really creative ideas on how to do that. Before we kick it into the episode, I just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of these growth and exit planning accelerators that we're launching. It's a 12-month program that it starts. We're going to have 10 people that are in the cohort, and we take the phase one and phase two of our growth and exit planning process, and we layer in the principles, and we essentially just give you a boot camp that gives you all of the resources and information that you need to increase the value of your company maximize your exit options and hire your team of advisors. So if you're interested in that, go onto our website, there's a registration page or shoot me a LinkedIn message and I'm happy to give you some more information. So we're launching one, we're shooting for August and we're gonna be launching one hopefully every quarter here in the Twin Cities. Um, we've got a couple other advisors that are planning and launching across the US. So some pretty cool stuff going on. So if you're curious, if there's gonna be one of these cohorts that are launched in your cities or if you're interested and in then potentially being one of the facilitators that wants to launch a cohort, reach out to me. And then if you're an online entrepreneur, I'm going to be launching some virtual 
cohort peer groups that are going to be a three-month program with my friend Alex McClafferty, who ended up being on the podcast with his episode titled Selling to GoDaddy. So if you're interested in either of those, reach out to me. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of Life After Business is sponsored by GEXP Collaborative. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the buyer of your choice at the price you want. Vincenzo, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing good. I uh, I'm super excited to have you on my show because you and I met at the Young Entrepreneurs <laughs> Escape, and yep. um, we were having a blast boarding in the mountains. And um, I will have to say that you absolutely did not look like a CPA <laughs> when I yeah, met. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's how I get them. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh my God, this guy looks like a looks like a total mountain head, and he lives out. Yeah. No, no, you're you're diving into financials all day. Yeah, and there I am, just you know, nerding out on tax and tax advice. <laughs> so you got you got you got to give your before we jump jump into tons of tips and tricks and all the stuff that we're gonna geek out on. Um, you got to give your your a little bit of the background of uh how, what how you got to where you are and what you're doing now. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I, uh, I'm from New York originally and basically, you know, started sort of the classic CPA route, um, you know, did the big four work at PricewaterhouseCoopers and that was in finance for a while. And then, you know, about eight years ago, I just decided to, uh, to leave it all. I was just so done with New York and the, and the finance and the, the rat race and, um, you know, I ended up moving to South America and then, uh, and starting a practice with a focus on, on international taxation, right? So Americans living abroad, foreigners that invest in the United States. And, uh, you know, that's where I you know, started growing my hair out and, and, and kind of, <laughs> you know, sticking my finger up to the man as far as, Hey, I could be this sort of CPA without the, the shirt and tie and, and, you know, the green visor, et cetera. So that's <laughs> green, green visor, pocket squares and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we, as we dive into this, can you kind of give a little bit of the, uh, the overview of what, what your specialties are at your firm and what you've specialized in over the last handful of years? Sure. So, you know, I started out at PwC and we were doing sort of like M&A stuff and, 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 and tax stuff. But then basically when I did sort of, you know, reinvent myself, I saw a real need for, for the international tax side, right? And, and like I said, America's living abroad. They still have to report, you know, their U.S. They still have to file U.S. tax return. They also have to report a lot of stuff like their foreign companies, foreign bank accounts, et cetera. And then the same thing for, you know, a lot of foreigners that want to get in the United States. So, you know, meaning they want to invest in real estate here, um, you know, foreign companies that want to invest here and, and, and whatnot. So we've kind of, you know, maneuvered ourselves in, 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 in that niche. Um, and that doesn't go without saying that, you know, we still have a lot of clients in the U.S. and I still have a pretty large you know, domestic part of our, our practice. But, you know, it's all about, it's all about niche markets and, and differentiation, right? And any, mm-hmm. any sort of business that you do. And so, you know, for us, you know, kind of being one of the the sort of you know leaders and 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 ahead of the game and the expat, the world really works on a benefit. That's super cool, and and we'll, and we'll definitely dive into that. So for the listeners, um, you know, we'll build. We're gonna just totally geek out on all the different uh, different tax things that I know that we all think about all day long as we just get hammered with it. We'll definitely dive into that, Vincenzo, because I want. I think a lot of people. Maybe they've got partners that they work with internationally and or, you know, like you said, that they're thinking about maybe living abroad or vice, you know, like or retiring abroad, all these different things that I think are opening up people's eyes, especially as like um, 
hit a lot of the inversion, or what do they call it? The inversions that were going on. Um, yeah, uh, inversion rules. Yeah. Yep. So, but before we get into the hammer into that, let's maybe just cover some of the things that, you know, as, as tax day is coming up here pretty soon. And a lot of the owners that are thinking, okay, like I, things to think about tax wise as they're getting prepped and ready to sell and, or, cause I think there's two things and maybe we can just start with this is that I see a lot of people Vincenzo where they like, they know that they're going to sell, but they've been, they've been kind of almost playing, you know, the God of the, uh, the annual tax strategies versus the long term. So what are your thoughts on that as people are trying to optimize, you know, mitigating taxes on an annual basis versus how that impacts the future structure of, uh, of the eventual sale? Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, ultimately you, you have to sort of look at, okay, well, what's your long term, you know, what is your plan, right? When are you going to end up selling? And, and of course, you know, it's good to sort of, let's say, uh, you know, buy assets to, you know, depreciate them. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, put money into software, et cetera, so that it could be depreciated, it could be a write-off. But, you know, you also want to sort of think of, well, what is that? Is that, are those assets going to, you know, kind of bring me value in a sale, right? And, 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 or are they going to just sort of be, you know, written off and, and, and not going to be uh, factored into the purchase price value, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, I think that's also, I mean, and, and look at it, like, you know, you could write off, you know, software, you write off over three years, um, you know, office furniture, equipment, et cetera, is, you know, five years. So you kind of have to think of, well, what is my sort of, you know, three to five year plan on, on selling? And again, is that, is that going to be worth it in terms of purchase price and going to add value to it? Or am I just really receiving a, a tax write off now? Right. And then and, and once you while we're on that note, explain maybe a touch on depreciation recapture. Cause I think that, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen it where someone goes to sell and then all of a sudden they're like, you're running the numbers like, holy crap, I did not know that was going to happen. Yeah, totally. Right. So, you know, when we do something, you know, when you depreciate, whether it's a, you know, an asset like a house or even equipment, you know, again, it's over, you know, a number of years, right? So you, you get to, you get to do that depreciation expense. Right, and that obviously expenses against your net income, and 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 essentially, um, uh, you know, lowers your bottom line and, and your taxable income. Now, the problem is when you sell that asset, right? Whether it's a house or whether it's a business, and then you're you're selling the business as a whole with assets, then you have to add back that depreciation, right? So you have to add that to your your cost basis, so that essentially you're 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 going to end up paying more uh, more capital gains on that, right? Because you're essentially Adding that to the, your uh, your basis, and you're going to um, yeah, it's going to be a larger capital gain. Well, so then the in let's curious as we as we peel that back a little bit because isn't depreciation recapture ordinary income too? Right, exactly. So, when, like maybe give an example of that, like because someone buys even a a building, a piece of machinery, even a business, and you know that they purchase as an asset. We'll get into the asset versus stock sales, but like that whole thing that they might not owe anything on gets thrown into their tax equation, right? So can you explain how that, that ordinary income and, the, and that recapture works and what you mean by like the cost basis versus the in, and I mean, you might want to do the wrapper around that. Yeah, sure. Stuff. Sure. So I'll do something just super easy, you know, like a, like a house, right? So let's have a rental property and, you know, I'd appreciate that over, over time. And then at the end of the year, or it's not the end of the year, when you, when you sell, let's say you have a, a, you know, you bought the house at, at 400,000, you're selling the house at 500,000. Okay. So you'd say, oh yeah, well then that's obviously a capital gain of a uh, of hundred thousand, but you also depreciate that, that house, that rental property 
you know, over over a number of years, and let's say the depreciation is is twenty thousand. So that means that you have that one hundred thousand dollars capital gain, but then due to the depreciation add back, that twenty thousand that you had depreciated over you know over the years also gets added into your capital gain. However, that gets segregated into ordinary income, and so that would uh yeah that would essentially be taxed at ordinary income. Which so you have sort of the capital gains rate, which is you know lower. Right, fifteen to twenty-three point eight percent, and then you also have the uh, yeah the ordinary income aspect of it. So, in this is where, so actually, even for clarification for purposes for me, so you're you cap gains and ordinary income on that. Yeah, on that twenty grand. Right, so exactly. Like one hundred twenty thousand dollars in cap gain plus twenty grand in ordinary. No, no, it'd be it'd be twenty grand. It would be it would be this. It would be segregated. So it'd be yeah, yeah. it'd be tw- uh, twenty grand of uh, ordinary income, and then the hundred thousand cap gain. Well, and I think what happens is is you. I mean, I, I'm seeing especially with the one seventy nine. Maybe you want to touch on some of these uh, depreciation um, tactics that are, people are using between one seventy nine and and how they're purchasing random stuff to to get that and how like how dramatic that can be because of, of the eventual, the eventual sale. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's why it's, it's one of those things where, Hey, you know, it's good to sort of, you know, take depreciation or the 179 deduction, which means that basically if you, you know, let's say you buy a, you know, furniture machinery, you can, you can deduct it the full amount at, in the year that you purchased it. Right. And so you rather than depreciate over the five years and, you know, if it's a hundred thousand dollar asset, get sort of twenty thousand. You know, depreciation expense for each year or those five year period. You can just say, "Hey, I'm going to do a one seventy nine and just take the hundred thousand. You know, right at then and there that first year, right? But the, but again, I mean, the issue is that you might have this sort of add back later, mm-hmm. um, either on the one seventy nine or the depreciation, which, you know, again, will cut into your 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 you know your cap gain, uh, or will add to your cap gain and cut into what you ultimately end up taking home. And so a lot of people say, oh yeah, well, you know, that's like one of the biggest like year in tax tips, right? Is okay, well, hey, why don't you, um, you know, just buy a bunch of equipment, et cetera. But if you're, you know, if you're looking to sell, you know, the next couple of years and just know that that's going to come back to you, right? If you're not going to sell in the next, you know, 10 years and fine, then the, 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 you know, the equipment will be depreciated by then and it really won't matter. But if you are, if you do have a forecast to sell on the horizon, then just know that that will, you know. That's where you're talking about add. making sure that it adds to the value of the company instead of just exactly. Yep. What what, right. what, are, the, what are the nuances with the the, the 179 that change with the new tax code? There was something called, um, you know, bonus depreciation. So that again, I mean, it 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 allowed certain fixed assets to to be depreciated again with the 179 rule. So it, it basically opened up for more asset classes. To be, to be, to be included in that 179 rule. Wasn't like one, some of them like trucks and SUVs and yeah, trucks. Yeah, yeah. So the, a big thing was, um, yeah, like SUVs and 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 I think even like luxury cars or something like that. I mean, there's there's a lot of nuances about you know what you can depreciate um, specifically when it comes to automobiles and, and vehicles. And so you're right. So the bonus depreciation rules allowed for uh, yeah, it was like trucks, et cetera. So then, as we're kind of uh, touching on the all, on some of this, and I know we're kind of just doing some, um, you know, some one-on-one potentially for some people. But I think it's so important because all these things are nuances, and it's all about at, being able to answer or ask the right questions to whoever they're sitting down with. Let's 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 dive into the asset versus stock sale. 
because and and give your your uh, the 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 main contrast between the two because I think this is where I mean there's people that you and I know that I was like oh, they, like is it going to be an asset or a stock purchase and like I don't know I'm like well it's a huge deal <laughs> so right. why, why don't you just uh, give your definition of what the two are in the contrast yeah totally I mean basically. Um... You know, stock sales, when you sell a company, you're actually selling the stock. You're saying, okay, I'm, you know, selling my stock of my company. I'm no longer owning that company. And essentially, you're getting rid of the company. You're getting rid of any sort of liabilities associated with the company. And it's actually way more uh, favorable to the seller uh, to do a stock sale versus an asset sale is saying, okay, you know, I have this LLC or the C Corp and I'm just going to sell, um, you know, certain assets. Right. So, I mean, it could be it could be all the assets of the company, you know, and, and when I say all the assets, I'm not just talking about the fixed assets, but, you know, also the intangible ones. Right. Like uh, customer list or, you know, the brand name, et cetera. And um, that would be more favorable to the to the purchaser. So I think, you know, one of the biggest things is when you when you are sort of thinking about you know, selling the company or sort of getting you know, to the negotiation table is to, that's one of the first details to, to hammer out, right? Are you going to, they, they just want to buy the assets? Do they want to buy the stock? And, and, and kind of how you're going to maneuver that from a, uh, from a negotiation standpoint and from a tax standpoint. So an ordinary income being asset and then cap gains being stock, the, the, um, can you ex- describe like in no, but even even within the asset sale, it, it gets a little complicated right. than that. Yeah, I mean, so the classifications, right? Yeah, the classifications yeah. and the and the um, the 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 what's known as the purchase price, you know, sort of allocation of the assets, right? So, for example, you know, I buy I buy a company for a million dollars, or I should say, I buy an asset for a bunch of assets for a million dollars, and so then you know. Me and the uh, and the seller have to iron out. Well, what is the what is the allocation of the the value of the assets? Because on the books of the seller, you know, the assets might only be worth six hundred thousand, right? But I'm paying a million, and there's a reason for that, right? There's a the reason is because, of course, you know, there's value in the in the goodwill. There's value in the brand name or the the customer relationships. And so, me as the buyer, I want to make sure that um, I'm maximizing sort of my depreciable assets so that the brand name and the customer relationships, et cetera, I can depreciate and or amortize over, you know, the, the life of the asset. So, um, and by doing this allocation, there are certain assets uh, that you as a seller would be, would classify, you know, as capital gains. And again, that that's a capital gain. And there are some assets, you know, one is like non-compete agreements where that's, uh, that's something that actually is recognized as ordinary income. Right, so if if I ultimately agree as a seller uh, to sell a company or to sell an asset, I need to be very aware of what the allocation is of of certain assets, because um, again, some of these assets might be considered ordinary income, and then of course that would be, you know, that's obviously taxed higher than uh, than what a capital gain would be. Can you rattle off the list of the different? Um buckets that it can get allocated into? Because I think there's like you know what a typical ten or something like that. The I don't know exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's basically so you know you have all the fixed assets, right? And and then you know then that goes into the whole depreciation recapture and that and that story. And then um you know there there's customer relationships. There's 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 brand name. There's goodwill. Employment contracts, right? Oh yeah, employment contracts, non compete. 
I mean, a few others, honestly. Well, and, and I think what, what the point of that too is like the fact that all of these are different. And I don't know, I don't know how many deals you've set at the table where like the the buyer ends up pushing what they want into different, right. different pockets. And like how, like you said, like so you get fixed assets where you get all of a sudden you're getting a, they're jamming a bunch of stuff and they're saying, hey, all these trucks and cars and inventory that's usually shit or whatever is now getting jammed into fixed assets and you're getting a bigger recapture. <laughs> so there's yeah. just a huge jigsaw puzzle that I'm most of the time the sellers are not aware of. And then yeah. all of a sudden like stuff happens and they just don't even know why. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, specifically when it comes to that, that's, that's the biggest thing, right? I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to a, agree to an asset sale, which, you know, fine. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's not the end of the world, obviously like, but you, you better be ready to, you know, negotiate hard and and figure out the the values, the purchase price allocation for all these assets, and and do so in a favorable manner, right? Because again, right. a lot of times, you know, the stock sale might be the easier way to go, or, or I should say, the asset sale might be the easier way to go because the the buyer wants it, but you you need to be ready to uh, to figure out the value of the assets. And this is where you're having your attorney and the CPA all working on this stuff, and and dude, like. I don't know if the listeners have heard my story, but this is where like our CPA did not have a lot of acquisitions under his belt, even though they were a big firm. And like, if you like, there's just like, oh, we're just like nonchalantly doing this stuff. And like the numbers would literally swing so huge as like this was, as these allocations were happening. And Vincenzo, yeah. I feel like different like thresholds that you can, because like you can't play a ton against this. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it like inventory that, it's just an expense. So it's good for everybody. Like you're not, you can't have like a hundred percent inventory like, depending on how, yeah. how you do it. Right. So I don't know. Is, is there like different like ranges that you can, that a typical deal would have? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you know, like for example, with fixed assets, you know, you have to sort of be, you know, within reason and there, there is a sort of, you know, rule of thumb on, on a lot of these things. But yeah, like I said, I mean, I think it's just, it's really, you know, the, the art is in the, the intangible asset side. And and their associated value because that's really where you're sometimes you're sort of sticking your, your finger up in the air, et cetera. What are what are some things that you see people doing or that you that you have liked that are associated with the with the deal structure and the transaction like this? I mean, they're think they're creative things that you're seeing people do. I mean, I think the other I think another aspect of of deal structure or or whatnot is like you know again the sort of st- the state and local taxes and you know if you're I mean it depends on if you have like a bricks and mortar business for something that's essentially online, like an online business. Um, and, you know, we, we help a lot of people like who are Amazon sellers and stuff with this. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, what I, what I do is more, you know, yeah, like online, if you will. But, you know, again, um, also being aware of, of where you're a tax resident at the time you're, uh, you're, selling a, you're selling a company. So, for example, you know, one thing when people are, are, uh, are preparing or, or looking to sell um, is, you know, changing residency, right? So like I've helped people, you know, that, that are moving from New York to, to Florida or, you know, people that go from California to Nevada. And so, you know, in that move, um, it's not just, oh, let me just move. No, it's like, okay, you know, you have to literally, you know, we had somebody take a picture of him holding a newspaper in front of a moving <laughs> truck, you know, that shows, okay, this is the date I move. And then, you know, two days later, the same picture, you know, down in Florida. Right. I mean, and, 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 you know, but this is like, you know, this is real life because, you know, these, these, uh, these states will go after 
you know, people that try and move uh, before they, they make a big sale. Well, let's, let's, let's actually dive into this, Vincenzo, because I, I mean, I literally had a client that, you know, given the crappy weather we've had in Minnesota, like the longest winter ever, they went down on vacation yeah. and they came up and their 10 year transition plan accelerated to 90 days. Like I'm done moving yeah, right. to Florida. <laughs> it's it's totally. like, okay. Yeah. But like, then it's up, but I'm like, okay, that impacts your estate plan, your financial plan, your real estate plan, the business plan. I mean, it like ripples into everything. So like, can you like hammer out, like, what are the logistics? Cause like, like, like you just said, I think a lot of people underestimate like the, the loophole, right. Or they, they, they think that they can just quickly, you know, six months in one day, but it like, isn't it like you can't even have your service providers or charities and stuff. So can you kind of just give yeah, us, no, you have to do, I mean, it's, it's all about a fact pattern, right. And, and sort of what's on paper. And so, you know, it, it is about, you know, it's stuff like, uh, you know, whatever your religious organization is, or, you know, one thing is, um, your, your accountants or your doctors, um, or your lawyers, you know, being in Florida and being able to say, yeah, I have all my doctors in Florida, you know, social, uh, social groups, you know, obviously the basics like, you know, voter registration, driver's license, um, you know, bank account. Um, I mean, there's a whole sort of checklist of stuff, but it's, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's sort of, you know, showing that you're cutting ties with your former state and that you have ties with this new state, you know, yeah, like Florida. You actually uh, have Florida, to do Washington. it for the most part. <laughs> yeah, you have to do it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like having a, you know, having a, a utility bill and showing your, your, uh, you know, that you're residing in another state, you know, and then it can't be just like, oh yeah, like, you know, 184 days, like just one, one day over. I mean, you really, if you're going to do it, you know, do it right. Because if you do have sort of a big, you know, big sale and a big gain, you know, and you're, you're, you're no longer claiming residency in your former state. That's, that's a taxable state. Then they're going to try and come after you. I mean, you know, New York, California, those are greedy. Those are greedy states. They're, they're oh, Minnesota's bankrupt. You know yeah. what I mean? Can you explain the, the long arm or whatever that like, cause I think, I think California, New York, Minnesota, all the, one of the higher, the higher states, I mean, isn't well i mean they'll literally go after you and then like ask for all the money back won't they i mean it's yeah no they will go after you i mean and it's and 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 you will have to show this sort of this sort of fact pattern yeah of 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 the fact that you've moved all of your ties i mean it's about showing sort of ties to the other state and so and it and it's yeah like i said it's more the sort of intangible of like my social ties are here and my you know my service providers are here and you know you you have sort of paperwork to uh to back that up so because I do have a lot of listeners that are also have e-commerce companies, what are some of your suggestions on that? Because the, the, I actually read this article, Vincenzo, it was like about how in today's world with uh, more of these businesses that are um, that are online, I mean, money's more fluid. So people are, I mean, like now states are literally competing with each other because of this stuff. So what are things that you suggest or, or that you've seen or helped with with people that have e-commerce companies that are a little bit more fluid? Yeah, I mean the problem with 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 e-commerce, um, you know, is of course, well, where where the company is located, especially the person's, you know, kind of nomadic, which I have a lot of people. But it's also it's also the matter of, you know, whether you might owe, um, let's say, state tax in uh, in 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 the jurisdictions where, you know, for example, people that that are Amazon resellers, right? And Amazon has uh, these fulfillment centers in various states. So some of the risks that we've seen especially, you know, at the deal table where people are like, oh, well, you know, what if, you know, you haven't been paying your, uh, you know, your sales tax uh, in all these states. So, 
what if uh, you know the, the the state comes after me? You know, once you sell the company, so you, you have a lot of issues with uh, with 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 sales tax, mm-hmm. um, and whether the person is you know doing the proper uh, sales tax reporting, um, and uh, yeah, and there's I'm, all these. I'm just on that note too, I don't know if you see, because mm. so, um, we were doing we were doing business across all the U.S. too, and like the uh, there was a deal that my partner was working on, um, selling was a very large deal, and the the difference of doing an asset versus a stock venture, they had like prepped everything to try and do the stock because the liabilities go with that, like like you said, yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. doing the prep work and the sales tax audit and all these, uh, you know, all these, you know financial and, and um and tax reporting will help you hopefully position yourself to do a stock sale. <laughs> so what is the like, yeah. I mean uh, what are the what kind of work or what tools or how do you like how would someone go about doing and prepping and understanding how like what their exposure is on this stuff? Yeah, so I mean there there's like so for state for sales tax there's there's a bunch of sort of uh you know online applications like there's something called tax jar and there's a bunch to, to sort of help you calculate your sales tax. For each state, so you know, I would, I would, of course, and that should be something that would be asked due diligence, right? As far as you know, showing all this, the the sales tax returns and 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 the calculations for that, and then you know, it really is sort of examining if there is any sort of state tax liability in some of these in some of these these states in which Amazon fulfillment center operates, and so you know, being able to prove that hey, you know, you don't have any sort of local tax liability that we've um, you know, we've done the due diligence. We've we've we have these memos to show, or 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 or, or whatnot, to prove that this is not a, this is not at risk. And yeah, and and hopefully being able to do the uh, the stock sale because of that. But I mean, that's the thing. If you're in sort of a very either litigious type of business, or in a business where there's a lot of gray area, like um, like when you you're looking at Amazon resellers and solve for state and local tax, you know, it might, it's it's all about the risk of the. Uh, or it's all about the per- the purchaser and if they're you know willing to take on the risk or not, you know, and 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 if you're willing to let them, you know, if you're willing to walk away if, if they're not going to do a, a stock sale or not. So, have you seen the um like the stock versus asset sale impact people's ability to have the residence somewhere else? Like so, like let's because like I mean, with an asset, you keep the corporation, all that kind of stuff too, right? So then there's a tie. To states, I mean, so is there? Would that impact any of that um, the state um, maneuvering? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it depends on on the type of business, and like I said, if it's brick or mortar or not. You know, I mean, if you, yeah, I mean, a stock sale is a lot cleaner, so to speak. But I mean, you could still do an asset sale if you know, again, if it, let's say it was an S corp, and you know, you were, you know, and you decided personally to move. Uh, out out of state, right? Because you know, in an escort, for example, or an LLC, it, it kind of flows through to the uh, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the uh, to the shareholder. So again, your capital gains would essentially flow through to you and 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 where you're mm-hmm. you know located and and your your residency. So yeah, it does kind of depend on the type of business. Yep. How about so if you know someone's got an e-commerce business and they're like looking at these numbers, going okay, like is it like because they're more mobile because of the e-commerce nature? You know, is there, I mean, is it just something where they should be like literally thinking about all this stuff going, okay, it literally is worth it for me to move because of the state, the state taxes on the, on the asset versus maybe kind of talk through, because I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I was going to say, I mean, the state's tax on the, and uh, you know, it's such a big thing. I mean, even just moving, you know, in, in New York, for example, moving from, uh, 
you know, out of New York City, just to like the the burbs, just to, just to New York State is 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 a big is a big jump, right? I mean, so and then obviously, you know, moving from a place like New York or California to uh, yeah to Florida, Nevada. I mean, you're talking like ten percent tax rate that you're going to save on that. So I know <laughs> it's serious. I mean, you know, and that's why I tell. I mean, people, my clients that are either selling their 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 businesses or even people that are you know, again, like kind of looking to move abroad or whatever. It's like, all right, just don't, don't neglect the state side. Right. I mean, people sort of, I think, you know, big picture, you know, focus on a lot of other stuff, you know, growth or yeah, like asset for stock or whatever, but you know, don't forget, uh, don't forget the state side of it. So the salt the state. Well, I actually, I'm, I followed Grant Cardone, who is very vocal on my LinkedIn mm-hmm. and he, he literally just moved from California to Texas. Or it was either Texas or Florida. And he's saving one point four million dollars a year, and uh, like I mean, even if you yeah. even if you take that, you know, divided by 10, 140 grand, you can literally fly around a lot or rent a private jet a yeah, lot. So yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know. You see, I mean, listen, look at the population growth of, of a place like Florida. Okay, I mean, there's more and more people moving down there, and I mean, obviously the sun is nice, but let's be honest, like the tax thing, you know, especially from like I said the 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 northeast yeah it's big it's a big difference so in your international i mean like when if people were to think long term or a big picture about this stuff what what is it on the international stuff are you seeing as people cuz i think that there's more international buyers too which i think a lot of people don't assume as they're selling their companies that they they could literally go and like look at you know international buyers but as money's flowing back and forth and the world's becoming more global and people have more opportunities to do this stuff like what are what are the things that you're seeing or you're recommending or strategizing people about yeah i mean i think uh you know from an international standpoint um you know you want to make sure that uh you know if it's an installment sale for example i mean you want to make sure that that a they're able to well a that that your the the foreign currency risk is not there right so that obviously everything's negotiated in dollars and that the and that the uh the company that that might be buying it buying you um, either has a hedge or is able to sort of meet a purchase price if they if they have an issue with with either you know their foreign currency or you know bank loan etc right I mean I think that's that's one aspect when it comes to sort of international buyers you know the other aspect is just you know again I mean just just culture I mean a lot of times you know I've, I have people that uh you know have buyers from from South America coming in and just uh, sort of the, the 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 pace of, of of a deal might go uh might go a lot slower um and there might be just you know just longer due diligence and and it's just you know again i mean i think that people have to just sort of understand these uh these nuances and differences um etc and weren't you helping people too like well, i mean even consider moving abroad and stuff like that i mean so how does that how does the international tax play a role into what people should be thinking about yeah, and that's the that's the other side, right? Is 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 again, if if people do have you call it online businesses, or even let's say they have a brick and mortar business, but they're you know don't need to be in the office every day, et cetera, then then there are some advantages for for moving abroad. And when I say moving abroad, I mean not just like oh I'm gonna you know go like to Europe for three months or whatever, but you know literally kind of moving your life. And 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 it doesn't mean that you can't ever come back to the United States, but it means that you know, call it uh, nine, 10, 11 months out of the year, you're, you're outside the US. And um, the advantages of doing that are the following. You are allowed to earn up to $100,000 a 
uh, tax-free uh, income, right? And that's called the foreign earned income exclusion. So you could be sitting in the Bahamas, you know, working for your U.S. company, right? Or getting, you know, a K-1 distribution for an S-Corp LLC, whatever. But because you are physically located outside the United States working, you get that first $100,000 tax-free. Now, if you have a spouse that's also working, then you each get the $100,000 foreign income exclusion. Okay? What? So that's basically $200,000 tax-free. Plus, like I said, the state and local tax obviously would be eliminated too because you're not, in, you're not living in a state. What, 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 how does that, like, okay, does that get taxed by your current res, like residency or the country that you're living in then? Or how does that work? So, you know, it could be, you know, again, I mean, that, that obviously depends on where you're living outside the United States. Um, so, you know, for example, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, you know, countries where they have zero tax, like in the Caribbean, Panama, you know, Asia, Hong Kong, Singapore. Then there's some countries that offer um, incentives for people to, uh, to move there. So um, Israel has like a 10-year uh, incentive, Portugal has a has an incentive like for where it's like a 20% flat tax you know there's tons of places or thirdly you can um you could do something where you're like a little nomadic so you're not really a tax resident of a particular country right so maybe you're either like perpetually traveling or let's say you're you know in in a country for just under 100 days or 180 days so just under half a year and kind of splitting time between two countries you know, there are a lot of countries too that they don't tax on your worldwide income. So as long as you're not, you know, working, or I should say, as long as you're not earning the money like locally, then you don't have to pay tax. And I know like Spain, for example, has some sort of special entrepreneurial visa program where, hey, listen, you're not taking any jobs. You're not really, you know, working locally. So you, you, you could live, you know, sort of tax-free there. And, you know, at that point, you're really just sort of stimulating the economy by spending money there. So, yeah, I mean, it really depends on sort of the visa and, and, and that situation. but. Like I said, I mean, $200, $200, $200,000 tax-free, you know, under the foreign and income exclusion by, you know, claiming a bona fide residency in another country, right? Which means that you are, you know, living there, you have a local visa, a local bank account, a long-term lease, you sort of have this fact pattern that says you're living there, or you could kind of do this sort of nomadic traveling where you're just outside the U.S. The, the only sort of issue with that is if you want to be quasi-nomadic, then uh, you're only allowed to spend 35 days in the United States in the calendar year. So for some people, that might be a little bit difficult. Other people are like, just so glad to get out of the U.S. So, you know, they just do that. But well, I mean, either tax free, man. I mean, yeah. That, 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 either that, way, that can make, you make or break the equation, man. Like, I, I'm just yeah. like, well, and, and, and that, this is why a lot of people are, are gravitating towards Puerto Rico, right? I mean, I don't know if you got anything to say. Right. Yeah. And that's, you're right. And that's the other option, you know, is, is, it's Puerto Rico. It's a little different, in, in, and it's kind of like an either-or. So you have the international strategy, which I, I just explained, or you have the Puerto Rico strategy, which is that you would be in Puerto Rico for uh, 183 days. So basically, you have to spend one more day in Puerto Rico than the United States. And by doing so, you, you, you have no capital gains on anything in Puerto Rico. So people literally you know, move to Puerto Rico you know, if they're anticipating selling their company so that they would not have to pay capital gains on the sale of their company. So you have a lot of people that uh, move to Puerto Rico for that, or you have a lot of people that are, you know, day traders, you know, hedge fund guys, et cetera, that, you know, just trading stocks and bonds all day and, you know, making tons of capital gains. You have other, other instances where, 
you can you could let's say run a company from Puerto Rico. Let's say you know get one of these virtual companies, um, you know Amazon seller whatever, and uh, you know you would you essentially would pay uh, you know four percent corporate tax in Puerto Rico, and then you could dividend you know out the money from the company at a zero percent tax rate. <laughs> So you have all this stuff. I mean, and again, and then you're basically in Puerto Rico, you know, just over six months a year, and then and then the United States for the other six months. And I mean, it's funny because they got flights. I mean, now that this has be, be, be become such a big thing in Puerto Rico, it's like, you know, if you're if you're in Puerto Rico over one minute, you know, past the midnight, then that means you're in Puerto Rico for a day. So now they have all these flights that like leave Puerto Rico like twelve thirty, one in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So people get like, oh yeah, this day counted. You know what I mean, and uh, it's a real thing. I mean, and it's because uh, yeah, you could t- so you you literally can you could check you you could chalk up a bunch of days by just doing that. <laughs> yeah, chalk up a bunch of days by doing that, and uh, so yeah, I mean you have a uh, when I think about that, because, right, I was just saying, now think about that if you were going to do a stock sale in three years or whatever the heck it is. I mean, like yeah, you really wouldn't pay any cap gains on that. Yeah. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? So you really, you know, it, it, it pays to sort of plan out your residency and, 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 and how long you're going to be. Because you do have to do sort of a um, pro rata share of, okay, this is how much time I spent owning the company in the U.S. versus this is how much time I spent owning the company in Puerto Rico. And then that would essentially be your capital gains uh, tax-free, right? Cool. So, it's, yep, so you can't awesome. do like, you can't do something, you, I mean... But you can't really do, um, and that's actually the thing because the the rules changed a bit. With this is also part of the, the rule change with the uh, the Trump tax plan, et cetera, which is, yeah, you can't just say, all right, you know what, I'm going to sell my company next week. I'm moving to Puerto Rico tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? You have to <laughs> sound sweet, but you can't. It's not that. It's not that easy. But you know, again, I mean, if you're just let's say moved to Puerto Rico for like a, a year or two and, and you're really not moving there when you're splitting half in Puerto Rico, half in the U S yeah. I mean, you could, well, you could literally Vincenzo, like I, like I, I think about this and like, so the big problem that I've been seeing um, is so the, the, the sheer quantity of baby boomers that are going to be selling their companies or transitioning in the next five to seven years is ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. there's 6 million privately held companies in the U S that have employees. There's 21 million that are freelancers, but the rest have employees. And yeah. Four so four million of them are going to be transitioned because the average age is sixty two. So like, mm-hmm. you think about this, and the, the biggest problem that I see is that a lot of these people have been running their lifestyles, you know, making a couple hundred grand, and they don't have enough savings. You mean so? Right. What is, we call it the value gap, or whatever you want to call it. It's a gap between like what they can literally live on and when and how right. they sell their company. Which, if you think about all the things we talked about, what asset versus stock sale, the depreciation recapture, all this, the residency, state tax, all of this stuff impacts how well or whether they can or can't sell their company. And so I think it's like, I swear to you, like these, like the things you're talking about need to be part of the plan because it's like, Hey man, if that's the difference of like you making it or not, you should potentially think about it. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you know, no, I mean, even like a hundred, like, let's say you can, you're only gonna live on 150 grand or something like that. And all of a sudden that goes down to 75 because of, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. It just, it's yeah, like, exactly. No, I mean, it's, listen, I mean, it's about, you know, it's about playing defense, not just offense, right? I mean, you know, we're all focused on, hey, like, you know, marketing our business and and, and expanding it and growing it. And trust me, I mean, I've, you know, I've done it myself and, you know, uh, online marketing center has been great, you know, but, but it is about playing defense when it comes to, you know, where can I save, whether it's, 
you know, on the actual transaction value, whether it's on, you know, even the cost of living of moving to a, a lower, you know, or low cost country or a low cost state or low tax state. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and ultimately sort of what your take home is and what your net is, right? And, and, and whether it's, you know, Puerto Rico or moving outside the U.S., um, you know, and, and, and like I said, you could still operate a U.S. company. I mean, you could, you could if, if you can, you know, you could go the extra mile and, 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 and form a Puerto Rico company and do it that way. Or, you know, we do stuff kind of like the Googles and the Apples of the world where, you know, you can, you can have a foreign company. So if you're living outside the United States, you can, you know, you could have a foreign company and you can effectively pay, uh, you know, a 10.5% tax rate on the net income by, you know, having a, a, a USC corp own a foreign company in like Hong Kong or no tax jurisdiction. And then, and then again, and then you pay yourself a hundred thousand for the foreign earned income exclusion. Um, and you pay, you know, you pay your wife a hundred thousand or, or your somebody else in your, fa- in your family that's with you. And, and again, you know, you can, you could save a lot of money and, uh, <laughs> and then, and then you could, you could reinvest that money into the business. Right. I mean, because that's the point is, if you're if you're out there, you know, earning you know half a million net on your business, then you know you're paying yourself, uh, or you're so say you're paying the government a couple hundred grand, right? So that's a couple hundred grand that you can't uh, pump into marketing, pump into your ad campaign, or, or or reinvest in a in a new you know manager or or, or C level executive or some sort of specialist that you need, right? And so. You know, you could do that if you, uh, if you, if you, you know, employ some of these strategies, et cetera, if, if you're able to, obviously, by, by working remotely, et cetera. I, so I just think you just hit on a bunch of, I mean, it's a, it's a, it is a global, and that's a, not only is it a national playing field on the tax side, but it's a global playing field. And, and it really impacts your, your ability to make these numbers meet. Not only that, but like it's so easy to get places these days. And with, you know, the so easy. <laughs> right. You and I, it's so we're halfway easy, across man. the world and we're, we're jumping up on video. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you're you're freezing in, in Minnesota. I'm down here in South America, and <laughs> and my taxes are ten percent in my my state. Right? <laughs> you know, who's the smart person? You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh uh, no, but I mean, that's you know, that's the thing. I mean, and 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 it's just, I mean, it's a global economy, um, and you know, and 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 everything's digital. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've I've seen a lot of people, you know, again, entertain these ideas and 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 implement these ideas. Uh, of, of of working virtually, you know, having a remote team, and yeah, and then obviously saving on 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 their taxes and and you know, quality of life and lower cost of living, et cetera, et cetera. So what's well, so crazy? It's, uh, of, like, very it, real. It is very real, and it, it, what's funny, like, and I'm not going to call myself a smart one out of this whole equation, but the like even the groups that, of the people that we, we hang out with, like. I mean, I'm living in Minnesota. Like everybody's from Seattle, Washington, and New York, and California. Right. Half, half the people from California. I'm sitting there going, "All right, guys. Like, not only yeah, I mean, the state tax is one, but like, I mean, it's really cheap to get places. I mean, like, I live in. I've got. I'm literally right outside the Twin Cities. I have a 3,900 square foot hot rambler with three acres, and my taxes yeah. are 3,200 dollars a year. And I got people that live like in these nice counties by me. That's 15 grand a year. But then, like, I mean, I and I think my monthly payment's like twenty five hundred bucks a month. And like, I talked to someone that was like, they're in California, like, dude, I got like, you know, four hundred square feet, and I pay twice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, well, that you know what I mean. Sound. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you could. It's to, you're so true. I mean, you could, you could, you, you you could totally live wherever you want, and you know, you could you could hop a hop a plane to 
have a meeting somewhere or, you know, stay a couple of days somewhere and you don't have to sort of be confined to, uh, you know, to, to, to some of these cities or, or sort of epicenters of business. Right. I mean, everything is done. Yeah, exactly. You can afford a lot. You can be flying first class. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. so it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously what, what suits everyone best, but I think that, you know, especially sort of our generation more so than like our parents' generation, like people are, are okay with, you know what, let's, let's hammer out some things, you know, virtually. And, and then of course, like if things get up to it or you want to, you know, seal the deal or, 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 you know, sit across from somebody, of course, you could just fly there for, for the week or whatever and, and, and get things done. I mean, it doesn't have to always be uh face to face. And I think, you know, when you look at virtual teams, et cetera, that's also, we've kind of found, you know, people could run effective virtual teams uh, doing so. So with that being said, you're the online tax man, right? So what is, yeah. if there's a, Makes sense. <laughs> so what, if there's anything that you want to maybe summarize what we've talked about, because, you know, we covered some good ground, um, what would it be or what, what would be your takeaway that you leave people with? And then what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, um, I mean, the website is online taxman.com. Um, we have another one called global as well. And basically what we do is we advise, uh, people, both, you know, people that, that live in the States that even are looking at dabbling in investments outside the U S and, you know, there's a lot of reporting requirements for, uh, having foreign bank accounts, foreign investments. So people that want to maybe diversify the United States or, you know, like I said, I mean, people that are looking at exploring either moving outside the U.S., uh, moving to Puerto Rico, um, and, you know, have any sort of international tax flavor uh, to this situation. So we would essentially help with all the, the tax planning, preparation, you know, compliance, et cetera, for doing so. So, and obviously with that comes M&A, um, but it, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's really sort of understanding the, uh, the lifestyle and what, what people could save by doing so. Vincenzo, man, I had a blast on the show. I appreciate you coming Yeah, on. it was a good time. Stay warm in Minnesota. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Take care. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you have any questions about the accelerator that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, let me know because we're going to be shooting for August here in the Twin Cities. Like I said, there's a couple other facilitators across the U.S. that are going to be launching them as well as well as the virtual groups that we're going to be launching. So I've got a couple things going on. If you're interested, go on to GEXP Collaborative's website. I've got a lot of information there and registration page. And then you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. But if you got any questions on how to get in touch with Vincenzo, go to the show notes, online tax man. Hopefully we, did, hopefully we did not convince you to up and move to Puerto Rico without much thought. So if you're going to go talk to your spouse or any of your family members, Please don't blame us. <laughs> so with that being said, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will talk to you next week.